All right. Uh, as to the reason we're here, we're going to start session two in our Bible study, session two. And we're going to focus on looking at the Sabbath day um, and what that means and uh, how it was celebrated, what uh, what things went with it in uh, the scriptural times. And so we'll take a look at that, session two, uh, if you want to pull that page out. To begin with, we have um, a hymn that I think has been in our last three hymnals, with the TLH too, right? Um, and I think we have the LW version here, just looking at the words. I think it's a familiar one, so we'll go ahead and sing those four verses. Um, I am trusting, see, I have in my head, I am trusting thee, but it's I am trusting you, Lord Jesus. So we'll try and sing it uh, this way. <clears throat> I am trusting Thee, Lord Jesus, trusting only Thee. Trusting Thee for full salvation, free and true. I am trusting You for pardon, at Your feet I bow. For Your grace and tender mercy, trusting now. I am trusting you to guide me, you alone shall lead, every day and hour supplying all my need. I am trusting you, Lord Jesus, never let me fall. I am trusting you forever and for Psalm 92 there. Let's pray those words together. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord, I sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord! How profound your thoughts! The senseless man does not know, fools do not understand, that though the wicked spring up like grass, and all evildoers flourish, they will forever be destroyed. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right. Sorry for singing the wrong words and saying the wrong words. We're going to go ahead and pick up. We're going to start in Leviticus chapter 22. Chapter 22. And we're going to read starting at the end of that. Um, and um, so if you want to turn there, Leviticus 22. And we're going to read verses. 32 through 23 3 
Uh, and this kind of set the stage for learning about the Sabbath. Lorraine, you want to start us off if you're willing? And you shall not proclaim my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Um, where? Right yeah. Okay. Oh, yep. I'm really on a roll today. I was looking at 23. I think it's time to go into the eye doctor, maybe, huh? Pray for my kids riding home with me the way I'm looking. Sorry, Ray. Okay, Ella. 22, what are they remembering at these sacred assemblies? The Exodus, the Exodus right? Um, reminding Israel that God has delivered them from slavery in Egypt to Pharaoh, and that he has done so by his grace, uh, and that now they are his holy people. And why does God want them to remember that part specifically? What's the fulfillment of all of that? God delivered the people of Israel from slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt. And what's God done for us? Yeah, delivered us from slavery to sin, death, and the devil um, by the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And just as the people of Israel were God's holy people because of his deliverance, so too we are holy people because of God's deliverance for us as well in Jesus. Um, it's, it's key because what did the people of Israel do to get out of Egypt? Nothing, right? I see the heads shaking. No. They didn't do anything. Who saved them? God did. And God is always teaching that, and that's we need to have that in our minds as well. They were saved by grace, 
And so too, we are saved by grace, freely given by God. All right. Question two. The Exodus defined Israel and Jewish people today as a people. What defines the Christian church? Uh, who or what is it that makes the Christian church what it is today? We have a couple Bible passages to read. We have 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, and Ephesians 2, verses 9 through 22. 1 Corinthians 3, let's start there. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven word, how, as a son of the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Okay. Is that no, um, Ephesians 2 19 through 22? No. Oh, I'm sorry, that was Philippians. <laughs> we're, we're all having this problem. You know what we'll have to do next week? We'll have to meet at the other end where the lights are brighter so that I can see you. We're just one book No problem. It happens to us all. So, How about Ephesians 2? So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are you, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, excuse me, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All right. So if the Exodus defined Israel, what defines the Christian church? Yeah, Jesus. Um, and when we say Jesus, that means all the doctrine that goes with it, right? Because we say Jesus, we mean the Son of God who took on human flesh. When we say Jesus, we mean the Son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead. When we say Jesus, we mean... Um, the one who instituted baptism by saying, 
When you have gone, make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When we say Jesus, we mean the one who said, Take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. We mean all of those things when we say Jesus. And so, in the same way that the people of Israel were defined by leaving slavery in Egypt, we're defined by leaving slavery through Jesus and his work. And so, Christ himself tells us what Christianity is all about. Um, and that's really what it means to be a Christian and even uh, a Lutheran, right? And I think some people are confused by that. Have you ever talked to somebody when you say, oh yeah, I'm a Lutheran? And they say, oh, so you worship Martin Luther? Have you ever heard that? Good, I've heard it. Is that the case? <clears throat> Do we have a big statue of Martin Luther there and say, oh, great Luther? No, who do we worship? Jesus. The, um, I want to say it's the Margrave of Brandenburg, um, who had been captured in battle by the Catholics in the small Caldic Wars, uh, was asked about being Lutheran. You know, oh, you're just a Lutheran, you know, what do you know? And he said, if you mean by Lutheran, that I worship Martin Luther. No, I am not a Lutheran and I never have been. But if you mean by Lutheran that I believe the Holy Scriptures as Luther did, and I worship Jesus as Luther did, and I believe in the Trinity as Luther did, and teach the sacraments as Scripture teaches, just like Luther did, then yes, I am Lutheran. And that's really how then the name stuck. And so, Lutheran, maybe this is the thing I'm trying to say, Lutheran equals Christian, and Christian equals Lutheran. And I say that not meaning that if you're Methodist, you're automatically going to hell, right? But what the goal of being Lutheran is, is to teach what the scriptures teach in its truth and purity to the very best of our ability. And so, in that sense, we're Christian at the same time that we are Lutheran. They overlap. I don't know if I'm making any sense or if that... Questions, thoughts, comments? All right. Question three. God did and does mighty acts for the purpose of bringing people closer to him in order to make them holy. The Jewish calendar of feasts, as we shall see in coming sessions, was to be a reminder of God's grace. It says, if necessary, consult a church hymnal index to find an outline of the church year. And I think we're sort of familiar enough, we can probably do a lot of this without the church hymnal. But it says, what are the festivals in the church year that remind us of the important events of... Um, God's grace. Bark. Advent. Advent, yeah. Lent. Lent. Yep. Yeah. I didn't know if you had your hand up, Bark. Sorry. <laughs> Pentecost. Pentecost. A couple really big ones. 
Easter, <coughs> Christmas, Christmas and Easter. Um, we have all these feasts in the church year, and maybe I'll just say it this way. The point of Christmas is... Celebrate the birth. Celebrate the birth of Jesus, right? And I, I know that seems pretty obvious, right? Even Linus got it from Charlie Brown. Um, but lots of times, what do we think Christmas is about? Well, I gotta make eight million cookies. And I gotta hang Christmas lights on my house. And I have to put a, take a tree from outside and put it in the living room. And spend the six weeks vacuuming up pine needles, right? Um, or snow. Right? Bing Crosby was dreaming of white Christmas, right? Um, elves, things like that is what we think Christmas is about, but it's actually about Jesus. How about we're coming up to Easter? What's Easter about? The resurrection. Jesus again, right? Um, it's not about, as much as I appreciate these things, it's not about Cadbury eggs or dark chocolate rabbits, you know, that, that break your teeth when you try to take a bite out of the ears, so you have to go to the dentist, right? It's not about those things or rabbits uh, or things like that, it's about the resurrection. They're there to teach us about Jesus. And the same with all the other ones, uh, Advent, uh, Lent, Epiphany. Those things all are there to teach us about Jesus. Even Pentecost uh, is there to teach us about Jesus. All right. Uh, part B. Um, oh, yeah, we got these. The birth of Jesus, Christmas, the coming of the wise men, Epiphany, uh, Christ's death, Easter, Christ's resurrection, uh, Easter, the coming of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. We have all these things and more that teach us about Jesus. All right. Four. The Sabbath is listed as the first festival. Um, why is asking us to rest so important to God? 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7. to rest so important to God? He says he to remember it. Okay. To remember him? Yep. Lorraine, you were saying something too? And he rested. And he rested? Yep. Other thoughts? What is the rest that we have on the Sabbath day look like? No work. No work? Okay. Sure. There's what I'm looking for. I'm trying to fish for. 
church, right? Um, and we've been talking about this on Sunday morning for quite a while. What's church all about? Worship, praise. Worship. Um, yeah, I was going to say, what's what's worship look like? We we call it in our hymnal, divine service, meaning who's doing the serving? God, the divine one. Okay, and so God gives us rest by feeding our faith. Okay, so uh, maybe a way to think about it is like this. Thanksgiving is supposed to be a day of getting together, resting with family, and rejoicing in the things that we've been given over the last year, right? That's the whole idea. And it sounds really nice, but if Thanksgiving means that you get up and you have to season the turkey, stuff it, put it in the oven, and then start to cut up a pumpkin and make a pie, and then you have to make the cranberry sauce, and you spend the entire day running around um, doing things, is it that restful? When you get to Thanksgiving evening, are you like, ah, oh, what a relaxing day. <laughs> no, you're exhausted. Now, picture this. Thanksgiving, and Pastor Moline shows up to your house, and he makes your turkey, and your pie, and your food, and he even puts it on your plate, and you just lay on the couch, and I come by with grapes, and I drop them into your mouth one at a time. When you get to the end of that, is that restful? Depending on how the cooking went, right? <laughs> yeah. That's the same thing with worship here. It's not about us running around and doing a bunch of stuff for God. That's not actually restful. But when we come here and God does the work and gives His gifts to us, that's the thing that actually makes it restful. Now, Ken had said, not doing work is a part of that. And that's true, right? Because if you go to work on Sunday morning, you're not actually here receiving the gifts. It's not that that's sin that's automatically going to put you to hell, um, but at the same time, you're not getting the gifts. That's why we have church on Wednesday too, right? We have some who come only on Wednesday so that they can still receive the gifts. Um, Sabbath is all about getting the gifts from God. Um, even in the small catechism, when we talk about remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, what does the meaning for that actually teach us the Sabbath is about? Receiving God's gifts. Receiving God's gifts. Um, hearing God's word. That's the key. That's what Sabbath is all about. Okay? Receiving the gifts. Questions? That's why, and I know I say this all the time, that's why it's so important to be in church, um, to receive those gifts. All right.
Okay. Five. Read Exodus 20, 8 through 11. 8 through 11. Exodus 20, 8 through 11. deal with our relationship with God. The last seven commandments deal with our relationship with one another. The way we usually say that as pastors is, is that there are two tables of the law, right? So we got some confirmation kids. Hopefully you've learned that in confirmation, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This verse 11, I think it's pretty important. Oh, yep, yeah, okay, verse 11 also. commandments are a relationship with God and the last seven commandments are a relationship one one another how might the command to keep the Sabbath day holy affect both of these relationships how is um, going to church affect your relationship with God? Strengthens it. Strengthens it. How? I mean, I know we just said it, right? How? The liturgy and the Lord's Supper and beginning of the word and the song. God gives his gifts, right? So let's go back to that Thanksgiving idea. If I come in and I cook your Thanksgiving meal and I feed you grapes, while you lay on the couch, right? How does that affect your view of Pastor Moline? Hopefully. <laughs> right, Claire, if I just fed you grapes on the couch and you could just lay there all day, what would you think of your dad? Well, I would like eggs, but I don't really like grapes. <laughs> <laughs> all the little details, right? <laughs> okay, what if it was chocolates? That would be better. Okay. Hopefully, it would improve your relationship, receiving gifts from the one person. Now, on the other hand, the other part of the question is, how does that affect the people around you? If, if you come and receive God's gifts in church, how does that affect your relationship with others? As we improve our relationship with God, we pass it on and improve, learn how to improve the relationship with others. Right. 
that's, that's the idea, right? That um, when God gives us his word here, and the word says love one another or care for each other or that's even just to be blunt and go with the Ten Commandments. Um, God's word says you shall not murder. Does me not murdering the vicar improve the vicar and I's relationship? And how do I know not to murder him? Pastor Poppy says not to. No, just he's God's word says so, right? God's word tells me that's the right thing to do. Now that one is, okay, but that's pretty obvious, right? But other ones, how do I know not to gossip about the vicar behind his back? Yeah, God's word teaches me that. And if I do that, then hopefully that improves the vicar's relationship with me. Whereas if he found out that I said, um, you know, he, he's a big stinky head that nobody likes, right? I don't know. What, what do you say about the vicar, right? That he steals if, cars. That he steals cars. If I say those things, how does that affect my relationship when he finds out that I said that? It hurts it, right? So... Being in church feeds our faith and strengthens our faith. And then, by extension, being in church also affects our relationships with other people. God's Word teaches us how to be better husbands or wives, fathers and mothers, citizens, uh, rulers perhaps. God's Word gives us an outline, a, a methodology for being Christian. And so, not only is our relationship with God improved, but it also, hopefully, God willing, is improved with the, feet, the folks around us. All right, questions, thoughts? Do you see that at work in your lives, I hope? I think we can see that in families, too. If families worship together, their relationships in that family... Yes. That's one of the things that uh, our family appreciates here at Good Shepherd is that about half the time I get to sit with the kids during the sermon. Um, that's a benefit. Whereas if um, only mom comes and dad doesn't, what do the kids see? And learn. It's not all that important, right? Um, I'm going to just say it because we're doing it now. Even the way we're doing Sunday school right now, I know it came about because of the pandemic, but I think it's actually a really good thing. Why? How are we doing Sunday school on Sunday morning now? Families together. Families together. And what do the kids see in Sunday school now? They see, hopefully, mom and dad sitting there as adults, taking time out of their busy weeks to hear and to learn God's Word and studying it and maybe asking questions. And perhaps even if a kid is listening 
and has a question, they can ask their mom and dad for clarification right there. And they're seeing that it is important for adults to be in God's house studying God's Word together. That, um, I'm going to give you my opinion here, so this is just opinion, that does way more for a kid than a hundred hours of confirmation instruction because the kids learn that their parents find church important enough to go and to be there. That okay thing to say? Does that make sense? Okay. Nobody's throwing chairs at me, so maybe that's good. And I'm not saying Sunday school doesn't have its benefits too, but I think doing it all together as a family is something that's kind of fallen away, and this is a good way to teach it and bring it back as best we can. Okay. That might be enough waxing eloquent or not uh, about that topic. Let's go to day two, Exodus 16. Let's read Exodus 16. Let's see, we finished off in the back, right? So Lorraine, I think we're back up to you if you want to pick up there. Or Vicar, I suppose, Vicar. Yeah, um, how far do you want me to read since it's quite a chunk? Or are we just going to go round robin the um, entire time? Let's go ahead. I think let's read the whole thing because um, we're going to learn quite a bit here and it all goes together. Yeah. Right. How, how far do you want me to read? Just read a verse and then we'll go to the next person. We'll work our way that okay. way. Sorry, I misunderstood your question. They set out from Elam. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to bring bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumblings against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord brings you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to full, because the Lord has heard your grumblings, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation, to the people of Israel, to come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumblings. Then Moses and Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, who looked toward the wilderness, and told the glory of the Lord to And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. 
In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather a rib, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take and more according to the number of persons that each of you has in his hand. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. And when they measured it like the woman, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. And then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any, if it any of it, until morning. But they did not listen to Moses, some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, they burned it. On the sixth day, they gathered it into the shed to overreach, and when all the leaders of the congregation gave us a wilderness. He said, oh, go ahead. They laid it aside till morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and it had no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went up to God, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my law? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place, but no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and seeds like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an over of it be kept throughout the generations, so that you may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to his neighbor, Aaron, Aaron, take a jar and put an over of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Uh, it's kind of a fun way to end it, right? <laughs> that, now it's crystal clear. Now you know how much an Omer is, right? <laughs> um, this is really great. God's giving his gifts, and even we see a distinction 
If on Tuesday you got twice as much as you needed and tried to save it, what would happen? But on Friday, when you got twice as much, what happened? It stayed good, so you could eat it on Saturday. And so, what does that show behind all of this? It's, it's God working a miracle, right? To feed the people through these things. Um, I wonder if he sent bacon with the quail, too, so you could wrap them up and grill them. It'd be delicious that way. It'd be delicious. I bet not. It'd be delicious, but it wouldn't be kosher. It would be delicious, but not kosher. That's correct. All right. Question six. Uh, and this is a, a good self-reflective question. If you had been among the Israelites after the Exodus, and we're talking towards the beginning of what we just read, how would you have responded in the wilderness? Probably the same. <laughs> Probably the same. Anybody have a different answer? I think probably most of us would be grumbling, right? Uh, and I say this because um, when things today don't go exactly the way that we'd like or that we want, what do we oftentimes do? Grumble, right? And I love, this is written in Hebrew, but I love the Greek word. You know what the Greek word for grumble is, Vicar? Oh, the top of my head. Go get some I. Like, go get some I. Grumble, grumble, right? Yeah. Ken. Ken. What did we think Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday when the parking lot was unavailable? <laughs> when the parking lot was full of snow. Right, or um, our house, we got the driveway all cleared off. And then a little bit later, the city came. And what did they do? Oh, why did they have to dump it all in our yard? We gotta get it again. It didn't take that long, did it, though? No. Um, we grumble. And I love this too, because who are they grumbling against? In a sense, yeah, um, what's verse two say? They grumble against Moses and Aaron. Right, they're, they're leaders. They're really actually mad at God. But they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron, who are their leaders. Uh, so let's take that same example. Who's the one that we're frustrated at that the turn lanes are full of snow? The city, right? It's like the city put the snow there, right? Um, and really, um, there's some in North Dakota who say, well, God put the snow there. God can take it away, <laughs> right? Um, well, it does if you wait long enough. Exactly. I mean, we, we find people to be grouchy at, even if they don't have anything to do with it. Lots of times, right? Um, politicians, family members. Have you ever had a discussion in a family where um, 
I don't know, the dishwasher didn't get emptied and you had to go do it and so you're grumbling against someone else who didn't know the dishwasher had run or whatever. Maybe that's just in our house sometimes. <laughs> that's a silly example, but it happens, right? We grumble. We complain. We don't like things always. And question seven says, what was it that led them to grumble and to fall short of trusting God? They don't make do it. <laughs> what do you mean, Ken? Well, they didn't accept God's love and that they were being uh, transported to the promised land. Yeah. And they lost sight of that as they were going. They lost sight of God's gifts. I like the way that you said that there. Did you see how they said it? Out here in the wilderness, we're starving to death. But when we were slaves in Egypt, we had pots full of meat. Now, I don't know how it is in reality, but do you really think they had pots full of meat and as much bread as they could eat when they were slaves in Egypt? They thought they did. They thought they might remember it. But were they happy when they were slaves? No, but especially when they were eating manna, they thought what they had before was really great. <laughs> well, yeah. the, the situation. The situation has kind of changed. We're now that we're not slaves anymore, but we don't have everything exactly the way we want it. We grumble. Yes, Vicar. I mean, the Israelites were under slavery. Some records indicate that slaves and those who worked to help build monuments and stuff in ancient Egypt were paid in the equivalent of beer and bread. So, I mean, yeah, I guess they were kept alive, but the point being is they're having some rosy-tinted glasses and thinking that slavery is better than the freedom God was giving them. Right. Um, I was glad you didn't say, you know, yeah, being a vicar is kind of like being a slave. No, I'm just <laughs> The, Another their, their ultimately, I'm going to say it this way, self-justifying. And what I mean is this, they think they deserve better than what they have. And that's what we do too when we grumble and complain. It's the same problem, ultimately. And if we were going to pick one three-letter word to put a label on this, what would we pick? Why are they grumbling? Why do we grumble? Sin. 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 Uh, the sin that in our, our uh, dogmatics books, our, our theology books, we say it curves us inward upon ourselves. And all they can see at that time is that they're hungry. And that hunger at that moment is a bigger emotional feeling and drain than the reality of they used to be slaves making bricks, having to pick straw and tread mud and put it in molds and let it dry in the sun. 
Now they don't have to do that, but they're a little hungry. Sin uh, is the issue. Okay? Um, question 8 says, read Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. finds it, wants to read it, great. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. But these are opposed to each other. Keep you from doing the things you want to do. Okay. Why is trusting God so hard for us to do sometimes? want to be in control. Um, and, and, and Paul says it in, in terms of the desires of the flesh versus the desires of the spirit. Right? And, and you notice, at least in my Bible, the word spirit there is capitalized, meaning what? We're talking about our old sinful nature and our new faithful nature. Okay? And my old sinful nature is primarily concerned with who? Yeah, me, right? That's why we call it our old Adam, right? Because I'm Adam, and my old Adam mostly is concerned about Adam, right? And our new Christian nature knows that God has already provided everything. And I'm not just talking about in this world, right? I mean, definitely, God has given me my clothing and shoes, my food and drink, and house, home, wife, children, land, animals, and that's all very important for now. But what even bigger thing has God provided for me? Eternal life and salvation. So that anything that happens to me here, even if it kills me, isn't actually the end. Because I can't get up. On the last day. Uh, and even when I die, my soul immediately goes to be with God. So, we have this war where the Christian nature knows if I run out of food and starve to death, I get to be with Jesus. And that's okay. But I also have my old sinful nature that says, I like to eat. And I'd like to keep on eating. And these two things are in conflict within me all the time. And I, I imagine they are with you also, right? And I, I think we see that um, quite often, and maybe even lately we've seen it more than, than normal with all the uncertainty going on, right? So... When there, uh, when there were riots in Lincoln this last summer, one of the buildings that got burned down was, uh, it wasn't burned down, but the first floor burned out was the one my sister-in-law works at, right? Okay, 
So what are the thoughts that are going through your mind? Well, did they lose anything? Is their business going to be able to open or is it going to be closed? How does all this affect those things? And you're worried about that. And your worldly nature is really, really concerned. And at the same time, what's the promise that I know for my sister-in-law? Even if it all fell apart, she's okay in Christ. And even if all that stuff was destroyed and she's out of the job, she's okay in Christ. And so you see how those things kind of fight, or as Paul says, war within us all the time? I don't know, thoughts? I'm making sense, or no answer to that's not good. I don't know your sister-in-law, but you said that to me and I lost everything. I might be angry. You, you might be. And even though I know what you said was right, I still love I still think my livelihood is gone or whatever. Yeah. You know, it would make me angry. <clears throat> it would, yeah. Um, if that were happened, if that had happened, yeah. and you're my sister-in-law, and I'm a Christian, I probably wouldn't just say that right away, but I'm family, and I'm a Christian, what am I also going to do? Yeah, you care for you, and provide for you. And, um, you know, if, if it wasn't a place of work, but a home, if their home burned down, where can they stay as long as they need for free? With us, right? And I think the same would be true if our house burned down, I could go and stay with them, um, which is a bigger challenge when you have our six move in rather than their three. But um, the thing I'm, I, I'm, I wouldn't just come up and say, you know, uh, don't worry about it, it's gonna be okay. But I could say that while I also Here's why. I'm going to care for you and take care of you. And you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, Lorraine. In today's paper, there was a, well, the Life Magazine, whatever it's called, um, article about the food bank and how much, and it's, they're going to build a new facility. But there was a couple, man and his wife, both lost their jobs. And that's how they sustained themselves for a while was by food bank and what an eye-opener it was to them. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, follows along the same line. It's, uh, sometimes you don't know where someone else is coming from. Yeah. Um, that's why I know we, we can't do it the same way we used to. We used to have a big blue barrel mm -hmm. out there uh, in the, the entry room, the narthex, thank you. So that as Christians, we could care for the people who need it. I'll, I'll be honest, I think we could probably still do it without giving it to the food bank. The food bank's a great way to do it, but if, um, you know, if Ken, is in need, what can we do as a church directly? You know, and we, we do a lot of those things. We 
you'd be amazed how often people come up to the pastors or drop things off anonymously because they say, someone else in church looks like they needed some help. And so here, or I had a conversation with so-and-so after church and they needed, they mentioned they were having a tough time because of X, Y, and Z. So I'd like to give them this and do it anonymously. And pastor, can you be the delivery person? It happens a lot where we care for each other. And that's one of the beauties of being a Christian is that not only do we know things are going to be okay in the end, in the sense that even if we get killed, yet will we live, but also we have a community, the body of Christ, who is here to care for one another and to love one another. And that, to bring it back to where we kind of started, the two tables of the law, the first three commandments and the second seven commandments, that's what it tells us. Because we are the body of Christ, we have compassion and care for one another. And we encourage one another to say, it's going to be okay. So maybe, a, you know, you said you might be angry if your home burned down. And I said, well, God's going to take care of you in heaven. Let's change this, the scenario a little bit. What happens when you have cancer? Stage four, there's nothing that can be done. The message is the same in all of those things. And while you su suffer and struggle with it, what are we going to do in church? Pray for you, care for you as best we can. When I would get called in North Dakota, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen here, but it's, it's different in a big city than in a small town, that somebody had died in their home, right? And so pastor shows up, and, you know, usually they have the cop there who's filling out the paperwork for the death certificate. While the pastor's there, what also happens? Be amazed how many people come in and say, I heard what happened. Have a pan of bars that I just whipped together. Uh, have a meat tray. Have, you know, and they come in and they hug them and they cry for them and they care for them. And they give you food. And they be there for all the things. That's why it's important to be at funerals for people, is to show that care and compassion for those who are hurting. And so um, that's what it means to be Christian. All right, see, we're out of time. Questions or comments as we... All right. Vicar, mark that spot too. Mm -hmm. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right. Have a good week. Drive home safely. Grumble against the city. <laughs>